Welcome, everybody, to What's on Draft, the podcast where we take anything from film, TV, music, sports, history, or anything else in the universe and draft it. And you, the listener, gets to decide who did it best. I'm Cameron and joined by Michael and Paul. Guys, how's it going? Pretty good. How's it going, Cameron? Not too bad. Feeling pretty drafty today. Hey, now. I have a trademark on the catchphrase, <laughs> which I just realized I coined in the episode we couldn't release because it was the movie draft. It was the first time I said it. So if the so listeners the are first, confused. I might be the first one to, to No, I've it. dropped it in a few episodes. Oh, you have. You have. Yeah. So no, extra drafty today. <laughs> I've got my bottle of uh, William LaRue Weller tonight. It's 135 proof, so I'm going to be feeling good by the later rounds here. So it's it's a it's a a drink around, right? Yeah, yes. Or drink a pick. Finish the finish the drink after every pick. <laughs> <laughs> if you're playing along at home. Uh, so I've been on like a HBO kick lately. I've watched several. I I binge watched all of Silicon Valley, and then did. Uh, a couple other shows, but I've recently have caught up to date on the Perry Mason reboot that they're doing. And it, it's really good. You know, Matthew Reese as, as Perry Mason is good. John Lithgow does a really good performance as sort of his mentor and an older lawyer. But I don't, I don't know. I felt like I, I wanted, it's not that anything's wrong with it, but it's very similar to a lot of other HBO shows. And so they took Perry Mason and they sort of HBO fight it. So there's um, some darkness, there's some good dark humor, there's some, you know, scenes of nudity and the kind of things that you'll find in, in most HBO shows. I, I won't say, especially since it's currently running, I won't say anything specific, but I found the, it's sort of a prequel to what you would think of as Perry Mason from the old shows and things, which I haven't watched a lot. Apparently, these are more like the books that the show is based on. Mm. And so it's him becoming a defense lawyer. And the leap from the Perry Mason people probably think of when they hear Perry Mason from what he starts out as was just very, I don't know, so, sort of sudden to me in the show. Um, but really good. Um, Tatiana Maslani is in it. She does. She's like a evangelical um, charismatic preacher and she turns in a really good performance. And so there's, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And I, um, I really enjoyed it, but I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like um, I would have been down to watch a more upbeat show about a defense lawyer, just cause you don't, I don't know, you don't see as much of that. And so um, I've, I would have been interested in that. I still enjoy what we got, but it, it wasn't maybe exactly what I was looking for. Hmm. I've never seen uh, the older Perry Mason and I wasn't aware that they were actually based on books. So that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't either until I saw a few reviews for the new one, but it's apparently not a lot like the books the show was. Um, the show was, you know, like a case a week and Perry Mason always wins um, at right. the end of every episode. And I saw someone that jokingly said, um, his uh the prosecutor that he always faces in the show has the worst record of any lawyer that ha has ever appeared on television because he just loses literally every week um but yeah so you know, i don't maybe i'd feel differently if i'd watched watch the show that's interesting i can't even recall myself watching or being a fan of any lawyer tv show because it would get a little ridiculous because they would always mm -hmm 
win probably i mean if it was made today probably not but the classic ones they probably are lights out like every time i don't know why probably the prosecution is so confident because they they should know that this guy doesn't lose cases yeah yeah and, and even uh you know the stuff you get on tv a lot is like svu where you're following the prosecutor and they right. almost always uh nail the lose. scumbag right yeah like it's yeah yeah so I don't know, but it's still very good. I would recommend watching it. Um, but just if you've seen an HBO show, it's, it's another HBO show. So, you know, you'll know what you're getting into when you start it. Kind of like real sports with Brian Gumble. Exactly like that. Yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Slice of life. I like it. I listened to a fresh air interview with Reese and he was talking about how much of his brain activity is taken up by just figuring out how to do the American accent. Mm. And he sounds mm. like he has attention problems normally. So he actually likes that being distracted by having to do the American accent. It helps him to focus a little bit better on his acting. Interesting. He does. A, I mean, he does a good job. He, he never is uneven in the accent in the show. So he's really, really nailed it. Did you mention what he's famous for? Uh, he, um, started out in, oh, what's it called? It's uh, the Americans. Yeah. Is the Americans. He, yep. Yeah. That's, that's what he, he got big for. Now he's doing Perry Mason. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting throwback, an interesting prequel to a classic TV show. It makes me think about what we're drafting today. Hey, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so today we're drafting possible movie sequels. So movies that don't have a sequel, don't have a prequel, really movies that are standalone right now and we think would probably have a decent shot at a successful sequel. I don't think there's any more restrictions other than that. Like I said, no prequel, no sequel. And that's it. I mean, is that right, Paul? Are we all on the same page? Yep, I think so. Um, I I mean, I don't... I don't think I, they're down low on my list. I don't think I'm going to draft them. There's a couple I looked at that had maybe a, like a straight to DVD or like a TV sequel. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure those should really count. I'm thinking like a theatrical release, but I'm not, I'm I'm not going to take any of those. I don't know if you guys looked at any movies like that, but some of this stuff just gets churned out and is not at all really, you know, it's just using the title to sell some DVDs or right. something. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I found one, I have found one that had a couple properties, not like theatrical movies or anything, but had some properties mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I would consider it like I, it's a down the list as well. So maybe we're talking about the same one. Maybe. But uh, I don't really have anything other than that, unless y'all want to get right into it. I say, let's get cracking. Awesome. Well, I think we're going Michael, Cameron, Paul today. So Michael's been a little quiet. I'm sure he's been teeing up his first pick. So this should be a a nice nugget of gold he's about to drop on us. He's been working on his script treatments for all of his (laughs) sequel ideas, in case any producers are listening. Right. This is like the the third or fourth treatment, probably, since we've started recording. (laughs) All right, Mike, you're up. Number one sequel. Um, I've got a decent variety. I think for my first pick, I'm actually going to go with a comedy. It starred a really dominant female cast. I am going to take Bridesmaids. So just for the audience listening, this episode is going to feature a lot of spoilers because we have to pretty much talk about the plot of the first movie in order to pitch our second one. 
So in Bridesmaids, everything goes crazy for Kristen Wiig's character, but there's resolution at the end and she ends up with Chris O'Dowd's character. And I love him as an actor. Mm-hmm. And I think that it would follow that we get to see their wedding in Bridesmaids 2. I wanted uh, them to be able to travel to the UK and see his family. I thought that could be a fun scene change. And we get to kind of get that cross-cultural influence and comedy and uh, get to see the interaction of her friends with his family. What do y'all, what do y'all think? So this is one that I saw on a lot of lists um, of like movies that people want to see a sequel to, right? So I, mm-hmm. I saw it when just Googling around to, to see if there's anything that um, I sort of liked as inspiration. I, I saw this one come up a lot. I'm surprised it hasn't got a sequel. Apparently Kristen Wiig has kicked the idea around a little bit, but hasn't actually started writing anything. Um, and I, you know, I think a lot of times you see movies similar to this that are male dominated that just automatic, like, like there's three hangover movies, right? right. So those sort of automatically get greenlit for, for sequels. My only hesitation would be, and I think certainly with the, the talented cast involved, this could be very successful, but my hesitation is with movies like hangover sequels or anchorman Two, right. Or, or sequels to these big comedy movies usually the second movie is a lot of very similar jokes. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if maybe you can freshen that up by keeping some of the ensemble, but then mixing some new characters into that ensemble to let that are, are very different comically to sort of mix things up a little bit. Um, but that, that would be my hesitation, but I'm surprised that this is not one that's, that's not already in production. Yeah, I agree, Paul. I was, I'm really surprised this is not already a sequel. Like you said, most of these big comedies that do well, Hangover, the Jump Street series, mm-hmm. Anchorman, the kind of things, they always get sequels. If they're great comedies, they're pretty decently affordable to produce. Why would you not make another one? So I am surprised also that it's not picked. That being said, right, echoing your point, they're rarely, if ever, equitable or good as, as, as comedies, really, I have really haven't enjoyed a sequel as much as an original comedy. And I think, like you said, it goes back to the jokes are repetitive, but furthermore in this one, the dynamic, a lot of the jokes are driven by the competition between Kristen Wiig and the sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the undercurrent of the jokes are due to them trying to surpass each other. And that's where a lot of the comedy is. So you'd have to come up with some dynamic like that, not just situational comedy, but, some social dynamic has to be driving some of the the plot so that more new jokes can be inserted in there. That would be my only criticism. Well, I was kind of thinking about that as to why Chris O'Dowd's character moved to the U.S. and then maybe there's some sort of interesting family dynamic and there's some division there. And so he's trying to definitely win approval of his parents and uh, convince them that Kristen Wiig's awesome. Or... Maybe there's competition between him and a sibling. I don't know. Uh, I, I like a lot of British comedians, and I think it would be neat to pull in people like Richard Ayoade mm-hmm. or Matt Berry. I, I was just going to say, if, if they're going to be following Chris O'Dowd, I want Richard Ayoade and um, Catherine Parkinson from IT Crowd. <laughs> yeah. Like be the two hotel clerks that they have to deal with constantly or something. Yes. 
So I think there's a lot to work with, especially if they took it somewhere else and played with, again, the cultural exchange mm -hmm. and maybe play with the different forms of comedy just to freshen it up, like y'all said. Cool. The first one was so funny. I definitely watched the second one, but with tepid hopes. Hey, set the bar low. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right, Cameron, I think that takes us to your first pick. Okay. This is tough because I got pretty much three I need to have, and then I can cycle through the, the last two rounds. But please don't steal any of my picks for the first three rounds. <laughs> so the first one I'm going to take, it's a bit of a cult classic. Gosh, it's got to be at least 30 years old now, if, if not. But it is a dark fantasy sci-fi. This is a movie that I had heard a lot about, but I never really watched until I was in college. One year, I just ended up messing up my sleep cycle, so I was awake all night for like two weeks and sleeping in the day, and I just ended up watching a bunch of movies, and I finally checked this out because I had heard the title always tossed about, and boy, do I love this movie. It's fun. Uh, it's funny. It's got action that doesn't take itself too seriously. I'm talking about John Carpenter's 1986 Big Trouble in Little China, starring R Kurt Russell. So if you don't know the premise, right, Kurt Russell is a truck driver, Jack Burton. He rolls into San Francisco and meets up with his friend. I forget all the characters, but uh, his friend thrusts him into this fantasy war that's happening in little china with these chinese ghosts and warlords and you know magicians and things like that in order to help save his fiance who was kidnapped and there's a plot you know this this ancient chinese magician or whatever was cursed to live forever unless he could find like green-eyed women to then release the curse and the fiance has green eyes, yada, yada, yada. So they have to go rescue her. But it's just a fun kind of swashbuckling movie with Kurt Russell doing a great kind of buffoon action figure, uh, action hero, and just a lot of fun. Uh, I think there's a young Kim Cattrall in it as well. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking, have y'all seen the movie? Y'all have seen the movie, right? Oh, yeah. yes. Okay. So I was thinking part two Jack goes back to Chinatown, but it's Chinatown, New York. Kind of change the setting a little bit. Throw him in a different city, right? And I figure he's still a truck driver. He's still Jack Burton, but now he's old. He's old Jack Burton, and Kurt Russell can play that kind of old guy. That's loud. He's got a lot of, like, jabs and witty old guy really well. So he's going to play that character again for a second time really well. He's going into Chinatown, meets up with another friend because he knows everybody, and he get thrust into another dark, whatever, Chinese warlord triad thing going on in Chinatown, New York. But this time, you kind of throw into it like modern society. He doesn't really understand all the technology necessarily that everybody's using. He just still rides his big rig. So he's just kind of like, yeah, I don't care about that. And then, But at the end of the movie, right, they kind of work together to, you know, do whatever they need to to get, to get accomplished uh, the goal or do whatever they have to to accomplish their goal so that's my idea for bigger trouble in little china so did you know that this is one that they are currently working on well of? what is working on me because i've seen this hmm. like being kind of in production hell i'm not de development hell for 
at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I know they've talked about The Rock being involved, mm-hmm. but I, I, I don't really know how far they've gotten with this. Yeah, The Rock purchased the rights in like 2015 and in 2018 uh, started to try to get things off the ground. And then um, obviously not a lot of anything is happening right now in Hollywood. But And so I don't know what the status is, but The Rock is owns the right and is attempting to do something in the Big Trouble in Little China universe. But I think it would be more of a reboot than a sequel oh no, no i want a sequel I, I i don't want a reboot a reboot would be fun too but i think kurt russell can play jack burton again mm-hmm. so i like your pitch of change of location it sounds a little bit like another kurt russell movie oh a born uh, born in east la <laughs> escape from new york and... escape from new york and then the sequel born in east la with cheech martin mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> So you'd just be doing the reverse. I'd you be know, doing taking the them from the west coast to east coast. <laughs> That's right. You know, Jack Burton. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of this movie. I would definitely, especially if Kurt Russell was back. I love that Kurt Russell is uh just super cocky and then just super incompetent. <laughs> you know, he he shoots out the ceiling and knocks himself unconscious by dropping debris on his head or and uh I think we've had so many good takedowns of like the action movies that that would uh, that character would play even better now than it did in the time of the eighties when it was parroting, you know, the commandos of the world or, or right. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be a neat role to see played up again. Uh, some people, I, I don't think I necessarily agree. Some people say the plot is a little problematic with the Chinese shaman. I think it's so milk toast that there's not really a lot to get, offended about in it but i've i have heard critics sort of talk about that um but i like i said i i would not agree with that but yeah i don't know paul what is milk toast uh milk toast is like very bland you know it's not that bad it's like wonder bread (laughs) no m-i-l-q-u-e toast it's french interesting yeah interesting yeah We'll cut that out, Mike. So we the more you know. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, I didn't ask you. What's your movie called? Hmm. Bridesmaids across the pond. Uh, you know, or just I, bridesmaids I, I, too. Bridesmaids back in the habit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's me. Big trouble in Little China. Paul, you're up. So when I was making this list. Uh, what I really wanted to do was, I, you know, I started out just thinking about movies I enjoyed. And a lot of the movies that I really enjoy either just ended so well that they don't need a sequel or other movies have mimicked them in a way that they've sort of said what an expanded version of that movie would be, right? So I still have a list of movies that I like a lot, but my, in, my, my goal was to take movies that I think would have a relevant storyline to tell um, sort of in the modern world, right? And so, like, you know, I, like I said, I've been on an HBO kick. So my inspiration for what I was looking at was a lot like the new Watchmen series from HBO, which was a really good sequel to the Watchmen stuff, but also tackled uh, 
systemic racism and policing, right, deals with the Tulsa race riots and things like that in the TV series. And so taking a property, extending it, and making it also super relevant to sort of the conversations happening today was what I was aiming for. And so the first movie um, uh, is one, the, the one that's on my list probably the most just because I enjoy it. And I'm taking it first because I feel like there's a chance Michael might have zeroed in on this one as well, because I know he enjoys this film. <laughs> and so uh, I'm going to take the movie Dread from 2012, starring Carl Urban as Judge Dredd. Um, so this was uh, a standalone reboot of the Judge Dredd, right? It has nothing to do with the old Stallone um, Judge Dredd universe and was about Carl Urban as the judge taking out a, um, a drug gang and going up. He, he was in like an apartment complex and he was working his way up the apartment complex with a trainee judge with him. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Judge Dredd universe, it's set in this dystopian future. It's a city called Mega City One in the middle of a wasteland. And the police have been combined with judges. So basically, um, the police force can find you guilty and just kill you if you're engaged in any of the many offenses in this universe that have like a capital punishment as the, um, as the theme. And there's a small part in the 2012 movie where a group of other judges is crooked and they come in and they get let into the scene because they have the authority to be there, but it turns out they're working with the drug gang and they try to kill Carl Urban and his um, younger trainee judge, right? And so I think a good sequel that could get into the conversations we're having about law enforcement and all of that currently would be Carl Urban's judge deciding, okay, I need to turn my view on these other crooked judges, right? So rather than go tackle another one of these gangs out here or something like that, I am going to um, look inward at this police force and figure out who are the judges who are abusing their power. Because right? Judge Dredd is very violent. He uh, is very quick to shoot, but he also has like an extreme code of honor, right? And so... He's not necessarily someone who you'd want to emulate, but he does fit into this archetype of the, um, the anti-hero with a strict code that he's going to enforce. And so I think him looking at these other crooked judges and being like, you know what, I'm just going to start devoting all my time to figuring out what stinks in this sort of department and how can I take care of it. Um, I think that would be an interesting and also very action-packed movie because he could go through various action scenes where he's taking out judges. Some of them have psychic abilities or things like that. And so you could have some really unique fight scenes as well. So I did see this pop up. I'll be honest. I was kind of nixing this just because it already has a movie kind of in its saga, so to speak, but I'm, I'm fine with the pick. I do prefer the remake over the original Judge Dredd. And I do like this movie quite a lot. I remember watching it. Uh, not in the theaters, but I think I, I red boxed it as soon as it came out and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the setup. And I like how you have a twist to kind of make sure it kind of fits in today's climate by, you're right, a Judge Dredd movie now where he's going after bad guys and judging them is not going to work. No, uh, yeah. For sure. Uh, that being said, though, I don't know if this is going to work either. 
in this climate, you know, and I'm kind of saying, I don't know if it should actually be made because even though he is going after judges, right, he's still part of a system where the police get to, as judges get to announce judgment and dish out sentencing on the spot. So I don't know that concept, just if it exists in the universe and the protagonist is part of that concept is a good idea. Um, I, I would like it if he was going after the, the, the bad judges out there, but right. Have we've never really had a TV show necessarily uh, where, and I think it's kind of obvious why, but we've never had a TV show and certainly not a movie series about essentially internal affairs, people going after people in authority who are, abusing their authority. And I, th- I think that's kind of a, it was, it's always been kind of a touchy subject with law enforcement. And now that it's such front and center with everybody, I don't know if any studio would go near this uh, is kind of, is kind of my thought. And I don't know if you can toe the line and make a good film without almost overly trying to make sure you're not coming across, you know, one way and for good reason. Uh, so that's, that's kind of my, I, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. I, I agree with Cameron here. I think that would it's going to be incredibly tricky to make anything that's appropriate because, like you said, we're, we're existing outside of the courts and laws that we have, and they're just passing judgment. And so um, I think that, I don't know, it's just the comic itself was set up as something so extreme as meant to kind of highlight what could happen in this really dystopian future. Uh, and then as things have headed that direction, it's, it's kind of a little bit too real now. I don't know. Well, yeah, but it's, you know, I mean, it's still a dystopian future that is clearly you know, as as many of the faults as you can point out in our own system, it's not the Judge Dredd universe. And you can still take that hyper-realized version of something and make what is, uh, you know, I think a complicated narrative is good, right? Because there's plenty of uncomplicated narratives about law enforcement in TV mm-hmm. and movies, right? It's It's almost entirely uncomplicated and so i think getting into um a more more complicated discussion via a movie that would also mostly just be big action set pieces that a lot of people i don't think would think about too much you could have some examinations in there what i'm discovering is that you have to be very overt with your message otherwise people will take it the wrong way so i don't know how to be super direct that you are wanting it to be perceived this one way. I don't know. Right. So I think you mentioned it, Paul, but are you kind of tapping into the Zootopia approach? You know how they were, did you mention that at all? Or is that just in my head? I did not mention you did Zootopia. Not. You've seen Zootopia, right? You have kids. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like, they filmed it as just, they just started making an animated movie. And then during a lot of unrest with our current climate and police, you know, a couple of years ago with that. So they kind of changed the narrative and they changed the back half of the movie to fit what was kind of going on in the country at that time. You know, the certain segments of society, these people are violent, these people aren't. So they did a really cool, 
uh, you know, they played to the, the, the climate of the times, which is really admirable for a movie to do and not get stuck in the script. So I could see that's what you're trying to do with Dread. It's just, and I, I think it works. It's just tough when the, the root setting of the film is these policemen are judges and dispense, you know, even though Dread is a good judge and a good cop and he's fighting these bad cops, right? He's still part of this system that dispenses justice on the spot. And I don't know if everybody's going to be able to swallow that even in a dystopian fictional world. So that's kind of my, my thought. I wish they would make a sequel. Uh, I just don't really, really, I don't even know how I would feel if it came out like right now. Yeah. How's that different than the Avengers, right? They don't, they just blow people up with missiles. You just don't I have see, a big problem. Don't see the visceral well. reaction. <laughs> I I I I've quoted it in many of my mm-hmm. speeches. <laughs> we must stop the superheroes and go to the moon. Well, they do kind of show some of this, but the people opposing them are always painted as the bad guys. Right. Yes. We have to control them and and every, you know limit them. Meet with mutants too. Gosh, it's a crazy world, man. All right, Paul. So throw us another controversial pick if you got one on there. I'm feeling, <laughs> I'm feeling debatey. Let's go. What yeah. else you got? You want a sequel to uh, Schindler's List there? Uh, Schindler's, yeah, Schindler's E-List. It's a modern-day narrative of uh, taking out neo-Nazi um, groups online. Still starring of, uh, Liam Neeson, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of um, people explaining Twitter to Liam Neeson's character. And he's kind of just like, I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and go with the other on my list that was the, the biggest budget and the most successful when it initially came out. Don't steal my pick, Paul, please. <laughs> this is one that actually had a sequel that started pre-production and then they got worried that the budget was going to be too large and they just canned it, which is strange because it is the highest grossing movie of all time in its genre. Um, Some people were a little upset about it because it was a lot different from the book series it's based Uh, on. Paul, (laughs) Paul, Uh, I don't don't like you. I am going to take World War Z with this pick. Ah, oh, this is a family show, and you are so lucky it is, or I would <laughs> I would have some words for you. Go ahead. So it ends uh, perfectly set up for a sequel. Um, if right, if you, again, spoiler heavy episode, if you haven't watched it, it follows a UN field agent uh, bouncing around the world to different locations after there has been a zombie outbreak, and eventually comes to the realization that the zombie plague is caused by a virus. Um, already potentially topical, although, I don't know, I don't think people are going to be into a lot of COVID-related movies, although I think Hollywood's going to make a lot of virus-related things, so I wouldn't lean too heavily into the virus aspect for for my sequel here. Um, But figures out that um, the zombie plague is caused by a virus and is primarily driven by the zombies wanting to infect people that are most likely to catch the virus and be strong hosts so that they can go infect other people. And what that means is if you are sick or elderly or have some other illness that's wrong with you, the zombies tend to ignore you, right? So they just go past you. And it ends with Brad Pitt's character, who is that UN field agent, 
um, at a um, uh, at a UN laboratory that's studying diseases and things. He gets some old diseases that they just have stock in the laboratory, injects himself with one of the diseases, and then is able to just walk past all of the zombies without them attacking. And um, therefore they say, okay, we can mass produce basically a vaccine that will let us go out and the zombies won't immediately swarm us. But they sort of explicitly tell you at the end that this is just the first step because it, we don't, they don't know how the virus will mutate. They don't know if this will work forever, how long you will be able to sort of vaccinate yourself from these zombie attacks. And you still have to go out and deal with the millions of zombies that are now still taking over the world. How do you mass produce a vaccine like this and get it to people who aren't infected? And so what the movie was setting up was the remaining humans going to war against the zombies that are taking up the planet at that point. And that's where they were going to get into with the next movie that again, uh, I'm not sure why the first movie made almost $600 million on a budget of 197 million. So it was profitable. Um, Brad Pitt owns the movie rights and was on board to come back for the sequel. And so I, I think the sequel would have been really successful. I'm not sure why they were scared off by the price tag for production. Um, but I, I think you just take that ending and run with it, right? So the movie is now about how do we, how do we gather together the last remnants of society in a way to fight the zombies, which is unique from a lot of zombies, right? Most zombie movies are just about, or zombie TV shows are like, oh, well, the real monster is man. He's the ultimate monster and, and sort of that. And this would actually be a little more focused on the zombies than like The Walking Dead ended up being or other things in, um, I think, an interesting way. And also you could deal with, again, some real societal issues. Like if I have a limited amount of this vaccine, how do I prioritize where in the world we're going to drop it off? Who do, right? These are issues we're going to have to currently think about with the COVID vaccine when we ramp up production on it. So you can work in a, a bit of that topical flavor into it. Yeah. So obviously I had this geared up. I, I, I think I was going to maybe wait until round three, but so it doesn't matter. But I think we saw this together in the theater, if I'm not mistaken, maybe, but have you read the book, the Max Brooks book? I, I have not read. I'm, I'm a fan of Max Brooks. I like, I like him, but I haven't read the book. It's interesting. Are you aware of how the book is orientated? Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm aware of the yeah. basic premise. So not and, very, you know. It's not narrative-driven. It's more journalistic mm -hmm. and uh, very, very interesting book. Good book. So the movie was great. I remember it. Very realism, more of like a global realist zombie virus invasion where a lot of times zombie movies are small scale like a family trying to survive you know a group of people trying to survive mm. this is really like a good look at what would happen to the world at large as this happens so you see people gathering on the sea you see people walling off their cities you see military bases doing okay but that's just because they're so well armed and trained and they're not really doing much benefit just surviving so i think did it not go through several iterations of its third act and that kind of caused some delays wasn't it already supposed to have like a big battle but then they ended up downsizing it and giving it this kind of softer quieter ending that kind of led into the there's another movie coming up uh yeah i'm i'm not uh i'm not sure on that i, I don't know if i heard that but if it was um i like the ending as filmed um and so i'm i'm if there was the chance they were going to do something else i'm glad they went with what they did 
Yeah. No. So I had this lined up. Have you given any thoughts of what the sequel would be? Just try, all those things trying to, I was under the same mm-hmm. thing. How do you get that vaccine out there? Mm-hmm. I was yeah. thinking maybe there's some zombies in some part of the world that are actually so rabid. They ignore the concept of only infecting hosts and they're trying to fight them to prevent them from spreading all over the mm-hmm. world while delivering the vaccine. So I, I call a lot of cool things you could probably do. I had heard though, that the reason this has had some hard time getting off the ground is not really knowing if it's going to be released in China. Cause you know, mm-hmm. they have sort yeah. of those bans against sometimes zombie movies, sometimes ghost movies, anything that's kind of supernatural sometimes gets banned. Uh, and that they also have a tough time taking Brad Pitt movies because he's very pro Tibet. And mm, yeah, that might be the production reason uh, why the studio is hesitant to pull the trigger. But nonetheless, I would obviously love to see this sequel. I'm not a huge fan of zombie movies and I actually really enjoyed World War Z. I'm not a, a fan of gore and I feel like that's not something that's a main part of the film at all. And so much action the fact that the zombies are fast, it makes it very, very different from other zombie films. So I would love to see a second one. Uh, I think Cameron's laid out a couple of good points of why it might struggle to get made, but I'm I'm all for a sequel for this. Well, that's the good thing about our draft, right? We're just creating sequels by fiat. So if the studios lose a lot of money, that's not our problem. <laughs> <laughs> Paul is not wanting to be a producer in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> all right cameron's trying to decide who he's gonna pick next Paul's now. throwing wrenches and everything <laughs> over here. God, i can't go a draft without getting something stolen i guess i just have common taste i'm just a common man okay so for my second pick what is cameron's favorite or one of his favorite genres of movies come on guys we've done like 15 podcasts i'm gonna say historical period pieces boom boom do i know you hmm? can you tell me my future sir yes period pieces so i'm going with the period piece here this is a pretty successful movie oh from about 20 years ago i don't think lincoln's gonna make a good have a good sequel lincoln the johnson years <laughs> so this is a pretty good movie. I didn't catch it in theaters, believe it or not, right? So it was so far back. I don't even know if I was driving yet, so that's probably why. But this is the kind of movie I would go see by myself for sure. Uh, but I caught it on TV later. I don't know if it was on HBO or Stars or something, but great movie. I am going to be drafting a sequel for Peter Weir's 2003 Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, uh, the British naval film based on a series of books by Patrick O'Brien, which coincidentally, Michael, I have book one that you lent me years ago. Still have it. Haven't read it. it I think it's from you. I don't recall having that book. You it don't have the be from me because oh. I, I own a set of them. Then I don't right, know. If I, okay. That's yeah, that's for me. I got your book, buddy. Anyway, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, Maybe not for everyone, but it is a good film nonetheless. It's a, nonetheless, it's about the British ship, the HMS Surprise, during the Napoleonic Wars. So it's a, a British naval warship, and it is sailing somewhere around South America, and it's having a fight with this French ship that's also down there. And it's about Russell Crowe, who plays the captain, and 
Paul Bettany, who plays the doctor and the science officer on the ship. And it's about how they traverse all the things they're going through as a ship out on their own, dealing with, you know, bad weather, uh, you know, disgruntled crew, uh, fighting an enemy that is more powerful than you. It was nominated for 10 Oscars. Did y'all know that? 10 Oscars. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 2003, which was the year of Return of the King. So did only one, two, I think, a cinematography, maybe a sound editing or something like that. But great movie, well acted. I would put it on par. I think some people even say better than Gladiator. I mean, Russell Crowe hit these two period films right after each other. And to be honest, if you like one, you're going to like the other one for sure. And I, I, I'll stick by that. But I'm going to draft a sequel here, part two. Now, Crow plays a character by the name of Jack Aubrey. So Jack is now an admiral. He's still in the Navy, and the Napoleonic Wars are still going on. There was a little battle in the Mediterranean called the Battle of Lisa over by the Adriatic Sea. Now, this took place in 1811, and I believe the first film took place in 1803. So we're talking about eight years later. I think we can fudge the years and make that work, make Russell not look that much older. But it's going to be about him in this battle, which was a battle between Britain and France and French's Italian Venetian allies who outnumbered the British. I think the British only had four ships and the French and the Italians had like 11. But anyway, they tried to attack them and take this island they were holding and they managed to outstrategery the French and ended up winning the battle and saving the the port and the island that they were using to base their operations out of. So uh, just another concept, another war film, but more of a, a life at sea, uh, a little more strategy in this one from start to finish. But given how well received the first one was, and it was well received, I think it deserves a sequel. Uh, I mean, I'm just to say really good movie. Um, I, I enjoy it a lot. Obviously, there is, um, I mean, there's a whole series of books. And so uh, clearly people enjoy the character and there's future stories that can be told with the character. And there's not, uh, there's not a lot of movies set in this time period on ships, right? Like you might get some naval action in the time period, but um, it's not exactly a genre that's booming. And so as a fan of the movie and other stuff told, um in similar vein i would be down for another one i saw this in theaters and it was really visually stunning and i feel like watching old-timey ships battle it's incredibly different from how things operate now in modern warfare and so it was neat to see all the things that they're having to process and calculate for and the slowness of action leading up to the actual battle itself. Uh, it's not easy to turn one of those ships around. So yeah, I think it would be a, a great movie to have a sequel. And the other thing with these right historical pieces is obviously if you write a sequel to it, you still need to examine the character subtext and arcs and growth and, you know, everything that goes into a good movie. But there's not the, you don't run into the issue like you do with um, other sort of non-historically rooted movies where you're trying to figure out where does the story go from here, right? You're just moving to 
another historical battle and telling it from the perspective. You're moving the character. You're not moving a plot around. Mm -hmm. And then seeing how that character interacts with another event. And so you avoid some of those problems that you might run into of saying, where can this story go that is relevant and entertaining? Instead, you're, how can this character interact with something in a way that's interesting? Yeah, well put. Thank you for your support. Um, uh, did y'all know that the story, the particular book that the first film is based on is actually, well, we're aware of the story, but it's actually them fighting against an American ship during the hmm. War of 1812. But the studio obviously thought there's no way Americans are going to be able to swallow this. Americans cannot take, even 200 years ago, the concept of somebody fighting against them. So they switched it to the French, which we love. So, so uh, just interesting. Every, I didn't know Nobody that. minds taking a swing at the French. Right? <laughs> so, yep. Master and Commander, Far Side of the Sea. I have not thought of a title. Master and Commander, The Near Side of the World. <laughs> Maybe. Since they're in the Mediterranean. How many Master and Commander right next door? <laughs> How many military movies are Americans portrayed as antagonists? I mean, there's plenty foreign films. Yeah, uh, for sure, especially foreign war films. I mean, there are pl- there are a plethora of international films that are based in military conflicts centered on forces that we were opposing. So, I mean, I'm sure there's Americans either directly or, or indirectly represented there. They don't release them really here in America. I mean, why isn't, would you? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Of course it's interesting. I mean, do you think people are going to, I mean, people aren't, people aren't going to see Blade Runner, but then they're packing the aisles to see, you know, Larry the Cable Guy, you know, what Fart Force One or whatever. So, so do you mean not, like, sorry, you mean like there's just straight military pieces, right? Like, I can't think of military pieces. I think there's plenty of movies where you show some side of the military industrial complex in a negative light. Um, yeah. But yeah, not, there's, those. there's not like we're telling a movie from the perspective of the British army during the Revolutionary you, War. You won't see like, yeah, people fighting American soldiers in a theater in the U.S. I can't imagine. I, I just don't, I don't think, I yeah. just don't think Americans can swallow that. You might get some miniseries where they cover both sides of a conflict, but not one strictly from an, another perspective. Well, here we go. I just thought of one here, but it's the exception that proves the rule. Sands of Iwo Jima. Entirely focused on the Japanese forces on Iwo Jima. And I forget um, the general's character, but played by Ken Watanabe, right? No Americans there. I think they even show them fighting Americans, but it has a companion film, right? Clint Eastwood's Flags of Our Fathers. They're, they're a two-set movie, and that's the only reason I think that actually works. They were released together or right after each other, met as companion pieces, all, both based on the Battle of Iwo Jima. So, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting thought. This is a great pod so far. We're getting down, down into the, the, the culture here. So, uh, Mike, keep it going. What else can we talk about? What else can we tie to current events, right? Well, I'm going to take us back in time a little bit. Not as far back as you just did, but to the Cold War era. 
this movie didn't perform as well as it should have at the box office, but picked up traction in DVD sales and has since become a cult hit. I am taking Iron Giant for a movie that needs a sequel. So I think that this movie, the animation was spot on. It's not a Disney film, so sadly we're not gonna see it on Disney Plus right now, but it covers this boy Hogarth and who discovers this robot. We don't know the origins of it. They become friends. It all leads up to this battle at the end and the government agent is the antagonist. The Iron Giant ends up saving everyone from, I believe, a nuclear warhead and is obliterated. But it ends on a positive note. We see a screw from the Iron Giant with like a beacon and it's rattling like it's wanting to go back to uh, come together because all the pieces are attracted to each other. So we get a hint that the Iron Giant can be reassembled. So in the sequel, I want us to follow the Iron Giant coming back together. And I thought that it would be really nice to cover the origins of the Iron Giant. We don't know where he's from. We don't have a whole lot of backstory. So I would like to know more about him and along the lines of what we saw in Watchmen, this is Cold War era, right? So US versus USSR. I am thinking that maybe the Iron Giant is from outer space, we don't know. So all the Watchmen, maybe an alien force attacking the planet is what it takes to unify the human race. And so the Iron Giant might uh, help defend against that alien force and bring the U.S. and USSR together in battling it. That's what I was thinking for this film. And so this would take place, it might take a while to reassemble. So maybe Hogarth is a little bit older and uh, we still get to see him in the film, but the central figure is the giant. So this was next on my list, Michael. I had yes. it... Uh... And it paid for the next draft. And so I'll say, I, I really like this movie. I was going a very different direction, I guess, from you in terms of sequel ideas for this one. Mm -hmm. um, similar to my thoughts on Dread, right? I'm thinking about sort of complicated narratives to work in here. And I'll say, um, a big fan of the original movie and like I'm on the original movie's side in terms of everything that they're saying, right? And that's that if you look at like foreign policy, I would consider myself broadly a pacifist. I think we need much less military activity, much more free trade and open negotiations and, and things like that. And that is sort of getting into that, this idea of pacifism in the Iron Giant, but they're doing it against a very <clears throat> over-the-top caricature of someone from the military, right? You've got a military commander who is willing to launch a nuke at a small town in the United States to take out what he feels like is a threat. And so yeah. I would be interested to see a continuation of that theme, but sort of steel manning the other side, right? And that is to say, let's take the idea of this, this sort of pacifism and being against a war machine 
and say, let's put it into a situation where a lot more people are probably going to be on the side of uh, military action or just harsher action, right? And say, like, I'm still on the side of the pacifist, but let's put it up into a situation where people are going to be more against that. Like you see in the real world, right? And all the time, like we say, the, the, the international community should probably or definitely should be harder on China based on what they're doing in Hong Kong. But then when you start to say, what should that action look like? This incredibly complicated discussion that we don't have when we have our online discussion about issues like this. And so I think it, figuring out a way to work, not a super as complicated as like that situation because you're still dealing with an animated movie, but a situation where you maybe still have a military antagonist, but that military antagonist, instead of just trying to blow up the Iron Giant, is maybe going after something that is a real threat. And the Iron Giant is having to come in and say, hey, maybe a nuclear bomb is still not the right option, even given this extreme threat to mankind or, or something like that, and working out the ideas that way. That's interesting. I like that. I was thinking that, you know, he falls into sort of mecha category in his size and just the fact that he's a humanoid shape. Um, so maybe that thing that he could be protecting would be like a kaiju, you know, a giant monster mm. like Godzilla and the iron giant is trying to protect him from being destroyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, Paul. Well, I'm glad I picked it first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have liked to see Paul, a.k.a. Kissinger's treatment of the uh, East Asian policy with the Iron Giant involved. I have not seen this film. Uh, it is on my bucket list. I know I need to see it. Uh, it is supposed to be an amazing film, uh, one of the best animated films out there, so I need to uh, watch it. Directed by Brad Bird, who did the incredible movies and lots of other stuff, and um, Vin Diesel is the voice of the Iron Giant, so it's got some A-list right. mm -hmm. power behind it now. A list, you know, a a, 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 minus a list B plus is an a, a, a list on a list of actors, certainly. <laughs> hey man, don't be taking down <laughs> Me Familia and the Fast and Furious franchise. He's got some star power, all right. No, I love Vin. I mean, he's one of the few guys I can cosplay as, so <laughs> gotta gotta give him his due. Cameron, every single episode we need to come up with someone new that you can cosplay as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've hit that a couple of times now. Hey, man. All right. You ready? You ready nice. for my next pick? Let's keep it going. I'm going to hit it off with another animated feature here. This one's much more recent coming at us in 2016. This is an action-adventure movie. I feel like they did it really well. There are some awesome songs in it that help propel it to uh, fame, and it earned a ton at the box office. It covers a culture that uh, we didn't necessarily see in the Disney wheelhouse before. I am going to ask for a Moana sequel. And I rewatched most of it today, just to kind of brainstorm where this thing could go. And I noticed how much time and money must have gone into the battle with the coconut people, the pirates, 
And those things that had to blow a ton of their budget and they were only on screen for maybe five minutes. So I would love to see them featured more heavily in a second movie. And since they become wayfinders and take to the oceans at the end of the film, maybe those coconut pirates kidnap a group of Moana's people and they have to go rescue them. I love Jemaine Clement's part as the crab. Uh, he plays Tomatoa and has an amazing song. He needs to be in the sequel. I'm trying to work out how he could fit in. Since he is an antagonist, he's a, he's a shady crab. Maybe he's working with the coconuts. And he could be out for revenge and, and that's, based on the events of the first Yeah, time. I was thinking maybe he's trying to get back because they did him wrong and took Maui's uh, hook back. So maybe he's trying to get revenge, yeah. So that's where I was headed with this sequel. And I know from an animation side, they've already got a lot of these things made. So that's always helpful. They've got these rigs already set up. They've got all of these characters already designed. So they just need to put it together. Yeah, I, I like Moana a lot. Um, great music. The music itself mm -hmm. is just really what sells it for me. Um, my only thing is some of these Disney movies feel really good at one. They really do. I'm um, thinking about Inside Out, Coco. You know, they, they feel mm -hmm. like they, they, they end at a point where, yeah, that, that's the story we were mm -hmm. telling. Um, and, and to me personally, Moana felt that way as well. So, but I can understand people wanting to see what's after that. Uh, so I, I don't really have a problem with that. If I was a producer or a studio executive, my one demand would be, you got to find a way to get Maui back in here. Ooh, you yeah. got to get the rock back in here somehow. Mm -hmm. So if you can write him in there, um, I think that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty good. It would definitely involve the rock again. I, I, think that if you have Jermaine Clement's character trying to get back at them, Maui would have to intervene and help. And also we could see Moana maybe grow up some and take on that leadership role even more uh, because she's still the princess in the, in the film. Um, so maybe her father has, has passed away or stepped down or something and she's ascended to lead her people. Yeah, I, I think it's almost inevitable that we'll eventually get a Moana sequel because I, I think the difference here, especially between the two you mentioned, Cameron, right? So Inside Out and Coco, they aren't movies that introduced a new princess into the lineup of Disney princesses because um, Disney is oh, very okay. narrow about who, who gets classified as a princess and they have let Moana is sort of one of the special exceptions because technically she's like a chieftain's daughter in the movie. And most of the princesses are actually referred to as a princess in the films. But I think based on the, the budget, or the, or the, sorry, the, the box office return that I had and the fact that she's considered a princess, they're expanding her role in the parks and things like that. And so I, I think it's almost inevitable that they'll eventually look at making some sequel to it. With Inside Out and Coco, I feel like those things and in a way that, yeah, they shouldn't be touched. I saw those on some people's lists for wanting sequels and especially Inside Out. And I just, that rubbed me the wrong way. I don't think that that 
that yeah. should happen. Yeah. So many people just list movies that, like I saw so many lists that were, these are movies that I want a sequel of. And it was just really good movies that came out in yeah. the last three yeah. years or something. I'm like, yeah, they're going to get sequels or they just don't need a sequel, but they'll probably get one anyway. But like, why are you, why are you putting this onto your list of movies that need a sequel? Well, you we mentioned Hangover earlier. I, I felt like that was a one-off thing and somehow they came up with two more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. When it does that well, they're, they're going to. It, 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 you just kind of, you got to go all in and understand that's going to happen. If you go see a great, great movie especially a comedy which is why bridesmaids is surprising like they're almost always that's what i was gonna say why why is bridesmaids not had one if that's the key factor Uh, Mm -hmm. it might it might be uh, you know highlighting that you know hollywood's gender bias difficult gender bias yeah 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 Yeah, i i think it's a mixture of that and also that movie blew up the careers of so many people involved and they've said in interviews that a lot of them would be interested in coming back and doing a sequel, but they also have, you know, they've got a lot of offers. They have so many other, (laughs) yeah, yeah, things going on. Kristen Wiig, you know, is in uh, Wonder Woman now and a bunch of other stuff. And so they're working on so many other things that it's also just a scheduling issue. Yeah. All right, Paul, pick number three. How about I go? Is that okay? You worried? No, Cameron, you get four Oh, oh, Cameron's in the middle. Whoa. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's having madeline vote twice he's skipping me on some drafts i tell you this guy's got it figured out talk about tricky dick okay so my third pick here all right this one gosh you know these are just great i think they're great cult classics i hope this doesn't burn me in the end this one did kind of mediocre at the at the box office mediocre reviews kind of mixed to positive but uh I, I still rewatch this once every couple of years and it holds, it's still held up for me so far. It's got a great cast. Uh, it's a good comedy action, bit of a dystopian sci-fi kind of element to it. I'm talking about 1999's mystery men. Have y'all seen mystery men? Mm-hmm. Cla- great film, classic film. If you haven't seen it, you got to give it a watch. It's sort of set in this kind of almost absurd Gotham city kind of dark and gritty, almost a cross between Escape from New York and Gotham City and Tim Burton a little bit kind of in there. So it's about a city where villains and gangs kind of run wild. And then there's this superhero, Captain Amazing, and he is kind of a superhero or a crime fighter. And he kind of ends up beating all, putting them all in jail. And he's now he's kind of bored. But he, there are people who wish they were superheroes. And that's our protagonists they're a group of people three guys initially that are trying to fight crime but they really suck at it but eventually captain amazing gets killed and there's nobody really left to fight the the big bad who is uh, casanova frankenstein played by jeffrey rush and so our group of wannabe superheroes have to become real superheroes crime fighters and defeat the bad guy so listen to this cast hank azaria janine garofalo William H. Macy, Kel Mitchell, Paul Rubens, Ben Stiller, Wes Studi. So that is the superhero team. And of course, the, the first movie had Greg Kinnear as Captain Amazing and Jeffrey Rush as the bad guy. So fun movie, a lot of action, a lot of quirky jokes, not kind of necessarily out loud gaff, but just a fun movie and a funny movie. Uh, I would give it a watch 
on a rainy day if you haven't so far. But in my sequel, Champion City is now managed very effectively by a very responsible police force. So much so that these crime fighters, these vigilante crime fighters are not needed. Essentially, kind of what happens to Batman sometimes. We don't need him anymore. So they don't need them. The team disbands. We're now 20 years later. A new villain shows up. Somehow he dispatches with the police. I don't really know how, what vehicle will use that. But either, you know, he disbands them or he kills them or he puts them in some kind of a like coma or he gets them trapped somewhere. But essentially the police that everybody has relied on is gone. And these guys and gal have to take up their weapons once more and fight crime. So the shoveler, uh, the blue Raja, Mr. Furious, just some great comic booky superheroes that I would really love to see back in action again. So that's my idea. Sequel to mystery men don't have a title. Yeah. Another movie that I, I really love. Um, got some really good gags. Like I love that Kel can turn invisible, but only when nobody is looking at him. And so no one yeah. believes him. And then finally he is able to sneak past like a security system because he's telling the truth. He can actually turn invisible if nobody's looking at him. Um, so has, has a lot of good stuff. Um, and I, 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 this is one of those ones where if I saw a sequel coming out, I would be very 50-50. Like I would have a little trepidation because these movies, when you have a, a big break like this, um, I think can either turn out really well and really solid or can be just, uh, again, a little more the same, right? I'm thinking like maybe like a Zoolander 2, right? Like takes a while to come out. When it does come out, you hit a lot of the same beats and it just doesn't have the freshness. And so I would worry that we've had enough of these because the superhero genre has taken off, we've had an, a lot of things like, I don't know, like Hancock or things that are sort of looking at vigilantes in right. a different light and that that would blunt some of the effectiveness of a sequel. That's fair. I'm kind of surprised just that you like this one that much. I love this That's movie. awesome. Yeah, I, I enjoy yeah. it too. You know who my favorite character is? You could probably guess. I can't. Go ahead. Great. I, I want you to guess. I'm making you guess. I do the same thing with Holly. I'll go take a guess and she'll go, no. I go, no, I, I want you to guess. The shoveler. Boom. You got it. See? I don't, <laughs> you need a little more confidence. The shoveler. William H. Macy's the shoveler. Boy, that's a Halloween costume I've been trying to do every year, but I just I keep forgetting to get like catcher pads and everything. So. Have a little more confidence in yourself, Michael. You can do it, all right? <laughs> I don't know if Madeline's over there like saying wrong, wrong again all the time, but I believe in you. No, I, she's I, incredibly positive. So, Oh, well, then why are you so... <laughs> like, I just don't it. like guessing. I don't like guessing. The heart yeah. stands. <laughs> Not a fan of guessing. Hot takes. Tonight. <laughs> I deal in absolutes. I might be a Sith. Are you a Sith? <laughs> <laughs> But he's not sure yet, so he's not ready to commit to that lifestyle yet. <laughs> I cannot right. guess if I'm a Sith or not. <laughs> so, mystery man. Yeah, we'll see. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. Maybe I need to go back. But uh, it's a good one. I mean, is also it also brought it? us brought us Smash Mouth. 
Oh, that's right. Smash Mouth was the sound or, or uh-huh. star was played in that yep. movie. That's right. That and made now it's one of the most memed songs on the internet. So you got oh, that audience for you. Oh yeah. All star yeah. memes are huge. Don't is you it streaming you know, anywhere? Do we know? I don't think so. I'm sure you can rent it on Amazon, but I don't think so. I have an old DVD copy that I used to plug in when I had digital, I mean, physical media, but all right, Paul, um, Michael, is it okay if Paul goes? I know sometimes you only like us to draft four. Well, I'm only at two picks, so I've got two more before Michael hits his limit with my okay. movies. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so I've for this pick, I've got two movies that um, I only want to take one of the two because they fill sort of a similar angle for what I'm going for. Uh, one of them appears on a lot of lists for m- movies that people would want to see a sequel to. Uh, and so that would probably be the safer pick um potentially in terms of getting some votes but you know me i like to i like to go to the more off the wall options so instead uh, i'm gonna go with one that i have not seen recommended for a sequel anywhere um uh older early 90s movie i am gonna take matilda with this pick now let me tell you what i'm thinking here um, Matilda ends like it, you know, again, if you're not familiar with it, it's about a young girl who has telekinetic powers and is in um, a very abusive environment and her parents want her to be more quote unquote normal. So they send her to a boarding school where she has a really harsh and, and literally abusive uh, mistress and um, develops these telekinetic powers there ends up uh, getting together with someone else who sort of helps her and is um, uh, also has been wronged by the headmistress of the school and they end up taking the headmistress down. And then Miss Honey, who's that woman that she's working with, ends up adopting Matilda at the end of the movie, right? And I think there's a lot of movies, especially in maybe the 80s and 90s, you can think of that have this setup where it's a young child maybe with special abilities goes through a rough environment and then ends up um at the end being maybe adopted into another family or something like that right the story almost always cuts off there and that because that feels like the the resolution to the story and this is one that um so danny devito plays her father in the movie he pushed for a sequel at the time it ended up not getting greenlit and he said recently he's like well I really wanted there to be a sequel while um, Mara Wilson, who plays Matilda, is still um, a child actor. Uh, now that she's older, maybe we could do one where it's Matilda's daughter, right, in, in the movie. But, and I think that's the very standard way you would see a sequel to this movie is Matilda's grown up. She has a daughter. It's cookie cutter the exact same as the first one. I'm more interested in just a movie starring Matilda as an adult and saying, okay, you have this child that got out of a really abusive situation, but now she's growing up her entire life from childhood with these telekinetic abilities after um, being adopted into you know, a more loving family situation. And how do, what, just what is it going to look like if you end up growing up, going through a childhood trauma, having these incredible magical abilities, and then now you're just dealing with the sort of mundane day-to-day life, right? Does she end up growing up to be someone who helps other children who are in the same situation as her? 
does she have just a standard nine to five job and she doesn't use her powers at, you know, except for just maybe at home or something like that, you know, how, what is her relationship like with Miss Honey? So they had this strong bonding uh, moment because they both were wronged by this headmistress and she ended up adopting her. But what does it look like when they don't have that singular task in front of them, right? Like, did she have, still have a rough childhood growing up just because she's so radically different from everyone else? And so I think extending that story past the moving from an abusive family to a happy family, like you see in a lot of movies, is just a unexplored territory in a lot of films. And so I'd be interested in seeing what adult Matilda looks like in this universe and how her childhood has shaped her life. Got nothing? Hey, I'll go. Haven't seen Matilda. As a child, this movie did not appeal to me. The vibe, I don't know what you would call that kind of, the kind of texture of the film. It's a very like Beetlejuice vibe. Or- yes, and I've I've never I've never really liked Beetlejuice either. I don't like that vibe, so I never really watched it. I I honestly don't give movies that have that vibe a chance, which probably isn't fair. It's not fair, but it is kind of where I'm at right now. If you recommend watching the first one, I will try to add it to my list, but I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak to the possibility of a sequel. Now I saw this one on a list of what people wanted and I thought it was surprising because it seems like it would be hard to do, but I like what you've put forth and think that having an adult version might be good. But how would you deal with something like flashbacks? Cause I feel like we'd need to see the teenage mm-hmm. years or something to kind of explain where she's at now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, you could, I don't know, depending on how old you're looking at, you know, you've got, you, you probably wouldn't spend enough to do the de-aging technology. So you'd probably cast a teenage Matilda. Okay. Um, I, you know, I think another cool element would just be um, if she would be interested in doing it, having Mara Wilson come back as the grown-up Matilda because she was huge, right? You, every, mm-hmm. Anyone would recognize her from her childhood acting. So she was in Mrs. Doubtfire and Miracle on 34th Street wow. and this movie were her, her three biggest. And she hasn't really done anything um, after she's grown up. She does a lot of voice acting now, um, but not even major roles in a lot of the voice acting things she's done. She you know, does a couple of episodes here and there. So um, if she would be interested in coming back, right, I think it'd be interesting to have her literally as, you know, as an adult playing mm-hmm. adult Matilda and getting back to the big screen in that way would just be another interesting wrinkle to it. So who wrote this book? It's based on a road doll. that's what i thought okay and so that in itself feels like it has its own kind of texture Mm -hmm. are there other doll books that have made been made into movies what are some others Uh, oh yeah um there's been the bfg was one that came out uh recently charlie and the chocolate factory has had the two movies uh i know there's more and they're actually there's a series of road doll properties that I think is being worked on now by a streaming platform, but I don't remember which one. Like, I don't know if it's Netflix or someone else, but someone has has licensed a bunch of Road Doll stuff. And Matilda is not on the list that I saw, but they're remaking uh, maybe the BFG or um, 
Is James and the Giant Peach Road Doll? I think it is. That's what I was thinking. It, yeah. It feels like it visually matches with the others. Mm-hmm. What would you think of Wes Anderson directing the sequel? Yeah, I think I would be totally down for that. I, I like um, Wes's style, and I think he could match some of the quirkiness that mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the original has some very dark elements to it, but it also has a quirky humor to it that I think he could do. And yeah, I'd be down yeah. for that. That's going to be tough because uh, I'm, I'm pinging him to do my Master and Commander sequel. So It will be very see. symmetrical, Cameron. <laughs> Lots of indie bands. <laughs> as long as they're British indie bands, that's fine. Lots of use of color. We will know who uh, is who. There's a great video, um, Patrick Willems, who I've, I've referenced before for his YouTube commentary stuff. He did a video that's what if Wes Anderson directed the X-Men movies. Uh-huh. And it's, it's highly excellent. I love that short film. And I love the the costumes actually look kind of like the 1960s or 70s mm-hmm. draw, drawings of them. Yep. It's fun. Yeah, it's good. All right, shall we recap? Let's do it. Yeah, kick it off, Michael. All right, I've got Bridesmaids, The Iron Giant, and Moana so far. And I have Big Trouble in Little China, Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, and Mystery Men. And I have Dread, World War Z, and Matilda. Wow, very eclectic fall. Um, So I've got another pair of movies. Uh, The last pair, right, when I ended up going with Matilda, that was sort of my... 80s slash early 90s movies uh starring a child actor and seeing what would happen when that character grew up um these these two movies that i've got in contention in my head are uh lesser known sci-fi movies um both from around the same time period and i'm gonna go with right a lot of these movies i'm taking are movies that i really enjoy as is um, this one is not a good movie. So I'm taking a movie that in its initial form is does not work, but kicks around a lot of really interesting ideas. Um, a lot of which were eventually, I think, played around with at least stylistically in The Matrix, starring the same actor who carried over from the two movies, Mr. Keanu Reeves. So I am going to take the sci-fi movie Johnny Mnemonic with this pick. Um, so uh, this one is probably the least well-known of any of the movies we've taken so far. And it's set in this future, highly corporatized worlds where corporations have used basically the internet to take over the entire world. And people are so dependent on the internet for their daily lives that they have a um, neurological disorder that's starting to impact people. And because the corporations can monitor so much of the activity that's going on on the internet, there are these people who are couriers that can have had a brain implant installed and uh, can carry data in their heads manually so that you don't put it online. And uh, somewhat funny at this point, Keanu Reeves' character um, has an 80 gigabyte hard drive in his head. And one major plot point is him having to upgrade to 
320 gigabytes of storage capacity and how amazing that 320 gigabytes um, is. And, but it, there's, a, it gets into some deep sci-fi stuff and the plot just doesn't come together as well as it should. And um, Keanu does, does a good job in it, I think, but they have his character just in some weird situations, some bad dialogue. So not as super successful. Like I said, there's a lot of interesting ideas like in this world, the corporations are basically just openly fighting each other. Like there's a Japanese corporation who the Yakuza just works for them and like is coming after Keanu Reeves to try to assassinate him. And uh, also Dolph Lundgren is, is trying to assassinate him at different points. And I, there's also this interesting thing where he loses his childhood memories as part of having this implant installed to him. And I just think you could get into a, a lot of interesting stuff playing around with this future that is a sort of hyper-realized version of where we are. So we're not nearly as online as this movie posits, but we're moving that direction as a society, doing a lot more things online. And I think you could also play around with that memory function. If you're talking about just new sci-fi concepts, I'm thinking about maybe a world where, um, you know, because people are online, basically rich people could like pay poor people to go out and like experience things. Like, hey, I'm gonna pay you to go on a vacation and then come back and I'm just gonna hardwire your memories into my brain and then have those memories and um, you could play around with. But I, I just think there's a lot of really interesting stuff you could do with a sequel that with good modern production and a solid director could be a lot more successful than the original, which is interesting, but I think doesn't totally hold up as the full package. Paul, is this an original screenplay or is this adapted from some source material? Oh, I'm thinking it was adapted from a short story. Maybe it sounds like a, it sounds like Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was a, a Philip uh, K. Dick short story, but I think it was adapted from something. Cause it sounds like a take on like total recall and then some other stuff that we've seen recently, Inception, mm -hmm. Memento. But the whole memory, science fiction memory, um, I, I love the take you're, you're going with it. You're right. There's plenty of, there's plenty of meat on that bone mm -hmm. To, mm -hmm. to explore. You know, people having memories almost, right? The data speaks to like where we are now. The data is so valuable, not the actual <laughs> physical you know, product or experience, but, but having the data is really what can propel you forward. So I, yeah. I love to take, never seen the movie. So pro, not a recommended watch. It's got enough interesting stuff that I think you could still watch it. Um, but it wouldn't be, it's not going to be your favorite movie if you yeah. watch it. There were a lot of eighties and nineties sci-fi movies from this time that had similar visions for the future. And I feel like budgeting issues and, maybe just set decoration, they kind of fall short. I, I enjoyed this just conceptually. I thought it was a really neat premise, but again, uh, I think your sequel sounds better than the original. I agree. And I, I like the idea of uh, maybe exploring some classist things. Now, what you've proposed there sounds a lot like surrogates how people mm -hmm. don't don't leave their homes anymore and they have these androids go out for them. So this would be a new take. It would be 
having actual people do it, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I just looked it up based on a novel by William Gibson. So similar okay. vein to Philip K. Dick, but um, yeah, Gibson wrote Neuromancer and some other big sci-fi books. If you're, if you're not familiar with him. Can we just pause so I can get a soundbite of me saying Gibson so I can insert it back on the front end <laughs> so I did name the author just, correctly? Just say it very monotone. So it's like, wasn't this written by William Gibson? <laughs> there we go. No, interesting pick. I, I Actually, more than all your other ones, I know you're kind of trying to, some of them take it in a new direction. I, I like this new direction more than the rest of your picks, but I love this kind of more nuanced approach to realistic science fiction. Would you want Keanu back from for the second one? Uh, I think if you could work Keanu into it, um, I don't think he'd be the star. I mean, look, I love Keanu, so anytime Keanu is going to be in a movie, I am down for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way the way the movie ends is he's very central to this large rebellion that is kind of kicking off against the corporations, and so I think you could have him as a key character who interacts with whoever your your new star is. Uh, I mean, I'd be down for just following Keanu's character a little more too, but I think in the vein of just giving the movie a fresh start, maybe have him to tie the two together and sort of hand the torch off to, to someone else. Um, I think science fiction does this right sometimes. They, they really know how to bridge the long gaps between mm-hmm. movies. I would say Keanu would play a role similar to Harrison Ford in the Blade Runner 2049. Uh-huh. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think I'm next. Yep. All right, Paul. Now you're going real highbrow, right? You're going highbrow. I'm going to go high concept, okay? And I'm going to dip my toe into the science fiction, purely science fiction. I know I had some kind of dark sci-fi elements in two of my picks, but this is pure science fiction. Okay. This also, not a great movie. It's a movie. I remember I caught it a couple of times on TV and I was like, interesting premise. I would like to see it from the beginning. And I think eventually I did buy the Blu-ray or the DVD and I watched it. It could have been so much more, but I think because of that, there's a lot of room for a sequel. One of the earliest films to use substantial CGI for its action sequences, 1984. The Last Starfighter. This was the other movie that I, I pitted against Johnny Mnemonic in my head. It sounded like it. I, when you said there's two that kind of were similar, I was like, I bet one of them is The Last Starfighter. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's a good thing you picked Johnny Mnemonic because I did not have a Johnny Mnemonic <laughs> to, to pick after this. So The Last Starfighter, this is a fun kind of sp- – it's a cheaper Star Wars is what it is. It is about a boy if you haven't seen it. Mike, you've seen it, right? It's been years if I have. It's been years, right? It's been years for me too. But, right, boy, he's really good at this arcade game. And we come to find out that the arcade, the arcade game is actually sent there by some star empire where they're trying to actually find people who can fly their ship really well so they can fight their rival empire or whatever. So he gets beamed up there and they tell him, hey, we got this starfighter core. You know, we need your help. And, you know, eventually he just goes back home. But by that time, the bad guys are trying to kill him because they think he's going to be one of their pilots. And while that's all happening, the good guys, most of their starfighters get wiped out and there's really only one left and he's got to go and he's got to go fight the bad guys. And I mean, it's very, you know, classic 
original sci-fi western motifs you know one person going out there making a difference but the cgi is just not good you know early cgi will not hold up in in most cases i think it works in tron because you're like it's in a computer so you don't even know what it's supposed to look like so it makes it works but it doesn't work in space that early cgi it just looks very very cheap but at the end of the movie he has like repelled the invasion he's the last starfighter and everybody's celebrating and he is going to then build the be the new leader of the new starfighter core and he's going to start it right back up again and so i think there's plenty of room there for a sequel uh you know call it the next starfighter the final starfighter uh the plethora of starfighters but he's going to be leading this starfighter core against maybe a new enemy the same enemy and dealing with the young pilots and i would think they would still be doing the same thing putting this arcade game on different planets and sourcing talent so maybe he's kind of the leader in the the father figure and we have a new younger actor who's being drafted uh unwittingly into the starfighter cord it's a fun movie if you like kind of older science fiction by older i mean like pre-1990s uh it's it's a it's a necessary watch uh it's got some good parts to it but um yeah that's it the last starfighter well clearly paul's a fan because this was something he was considering i it sounds really familiar when you describe the plot but gosh i can't remember watching it so, Michael, you and I have watched this movie together. Okay, yeah. Well, we've watched, we've watched a, a couple hundred we, movies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a friend who says who has this as his favorite movie. That's what I was it. thinking. What? Who we is this? You're talking who about Mark, this? right? Yeah, yeah. The Last Starfighter. <laughs> yeah. It, it just doesn't really live up to its potential. It, it's, it, especially in the, uh, in the third act. It, just, it mostly I, I think a big part because of the special effects it just it, it feels like you're watching a, a tv finale from the 19 like 90s or 80s which the reason they didn't do sci-fi is because it was hard to make those special effects it, it just doesn't feel you know what it feels like like a, a a cheap 1990s sci-fi computer game that's what it that's what it looks like and that's just not something you really want to watch but i think newer updated effects would really go a long way for a good action sci-fi yeah i think this one is right we don't do movies like this but you saw a lot of them in the, the 80s and 90s which was i mean i guess you call it like a wish fulfillment kind of movie which is like yeah you you as a kid being like oh i like to play video games and if i like to play video games and maybe i get to go fly a spaceship if i'm really good at playing video games and like they just don't you know, boy, you, you, was this kid Bullwinkle? <laughs> you just don't. I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm mockingly saying that, but I'm mocking out of an earnest enjoyment of that type of film, right? right. Um, and there's a part at the end of the movie where it implies that the video game recruitment system is still going to be working because his. I don't remember if it's his friend or his little brother from the movie, but I think it's his friend from it's Earth. His, it's his little brother. Little brother. Okay, yeah. His little brother is like goes and starts playing the arcade machine. And I think you could play around with that if it's like, okay, well, now we're still using video games to recruit people, but they've just proliferated to the point that now you're judging recruits 
playing mobile game you know like you you got people playing right. games all over the place right and how does that differentiate from having one arcade machine in some small town where you get the highest score there yeah. right so how does that look different so yeah i think i mean obviously i consider taking it so i think you can go a lot of interesting directions with it yeah so pure sci-fi i wanted to get one pure sci-fi on my on my board were you saying that these video games would have gone throughout the galaxy so we might see other alien races playing so that was kind of my thought because it's kind of like why are they so focused on earth so uh-huh. i would like to do that uh, you know if plausible but at the very least right to Paul's point, put a mobile app out there for a game and get some more humans. But to me, just logically, I was like, wouldn't they want to send these games all over the galaxy mm-hmm. to get you know the biggest talent pool? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to interview just three people for the job. You want to interview thirty. Maybe right. they just co-opt Candy Crush and then they realize that everyone they recruited is a terrible starfighter pilot. <laughs> like, ah, we even we try to make the console system look like. <laughs> you know or, candy crush uh, yeah. or but it just they're just not they're just not doing well guys they're just now, really <laughs> now you're in the realm of galaxy quest paul <laughs> they yes. made this ship exactly to oh, tv no, exactly specs. like uh, <laughs> we made it just another, like candy crush another movie on a lot of people's lists that i just i wouldn't want to do um at this point well but. yeah and we've lost we've lost snape now. so yeah that that, yeah. that was i have it on my list but i have it notated as cannot pick because there's no alan rickman yeah, yeah. I, the it, loss of alan rickman is it just doesn't work no. with alan rickman alive i mean i, I don't want to go on a tangent but that is a that is a near perfect movie i mean mm-hmm. that's a that's a great movie and it works because of all the characters all the characters even the helmsman, I think he's a little lacking at times, but even him, all, the rest of them provide something to the movie, All, especially Tony Shalhoub, Alan Rickman, and uh, what's his name? Alan Tudyk? Sam Rockwell. He, uh, Sam, Sam Rockwell. Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Is, probably the best, my favorite part of the movie. Alan but I, I just could not, I could not come to pick that movie because without Alan Rickman, they're going to try and replace him. And I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want to tarnish the, the great film with Galaxy Quest. Yeah. Justin Long's in that too, isn't he? As one of the oh, he's the, the kid, he's the nerd. Yeah. Yeah. He's the nerd. yeah, Plus, it's just a, lo- a lovely take on Star Trek too. Oh, so I, that, I love that's the why engine I, scene where mm-hmm. everything is like like deadly what? crushing devices. Why is this so here? Like, <laughs> that's like that's what I was talking about. They made that to spec. Yeah, based it's on spec, the show. right? Yeah. Everything's the same. Uh, I, you know what? I love great spoofs on Star Trek. They always uh, tend to be better than Star Trek. I love the Orville. Have y'all watched the Orville? Yeah, Orville's really good. I, I I love it better than like Discovery. I would rather watch like a season of the Orville versus Discovery. That's right. Hot take. Get that sound bite. Boom, Michael, you're up. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to close out my pick of five with a couple of films that have a lot of style. They aren't necessarily from the same era, but both of them are extremely fashionable. And the first one I am going to pick was on some lists. It was set up to have a sequel. I'm not sure why it didn't happen. Maybe it didn't perform quite as well as they wanted at the box office, but the cast is strong and I think it certainly warrants a sequel. I want to see a, Man from Uncle sequel. So Army Hammer, Henry Cavill, and Alicia Vikander 
all-star in this alongside Hugh Grant. And it ends preparing for another movie. It's set in Cold War era. Very, very uh, stylish. I feel like it's a riff on James Bond spy, Henry Cavill's character. And we need more competitors to the Bond and Mission Impossible series. So I would love to see this. I love period pieces too. I think that the Cold War era is something that, I don't know, I feel like you could explore that forever. It's, it's fun to just imagine all these spy missions that were happening in that era. And we find out that uh, Alicia Vikander's character is also trained. So all three of them, agents, and now we just need another crisis to occur for them to jump into action. Yeah, I had this one on my alternate list. I, I really liked this movie. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit when mm-hmm. it came out. Uh, kind of disappointed that it didn't do quite as well. I'm not super familiar familiar with the source material, the original show from the 60s, but I think this and the Kingsman series were kind of battling it out about who's going to be the more fun kind of spy movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess maybe Kingsman won because they made... They went ahead and did three, yeah. They, they did this. Did the third one come out? Wasn't it like a prequel? Yes. It's coming out. Soon. It's coming out, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the I... King's I, Man. I, the King's Man, yeah. I preferred A Man From U.N.C.L.E. I really liked the, the Russian America kind of vibe that they got going there. Remind me, Alicia Vikander's role, who was she? She was the mechanic that they're rescuing from East Berlin. Oh, that's right. Okay. 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 And so, and Army Hammer's yeah. character, the yeah. the giant, yeah, Russian that doesn't speak very much. I love it. I love it. No, it was there's a, there's some good comedy in there. I love the scene where they're talking about what are they going to do with the guy they're interrogating, and the meanwhile the guy's like somehow got caught on fire, and he's like burning in the interrogation room, and they're like, okay, so you're going to go in first, and you're going to tell him, and by the time they're done figuring out, the guy's dead. Uh, there's a lot of cool scenes like that and it's just a fun movie and I'm with you. I, I would love to check out a man from uncle movie uh, every couple years. I feel like the bond series has tried to make themselves so updated. I like looking backward at the fashion and the gadgets and things. I think it's fun to see what they had back then. They were kind of goofy now, but yeah. they were high tech. So I think it only, and this may be why I like A Man From U.N.C.L.E. more than The Kingsman, but I think that really works in a time capsule. Like, I think it's really hard to do that today, to say a movie is set today and to give it that playful tone, just because I think our brains are so wired to like, well, there's global terrorism, Mm -hmm. right? There's all these modern issues. It's kind of hard to ignore that while watching a modern setting i think when you set it in the 60s we're just wired to be able to process that oh yeah fun loving time it's the 60s it can be campy and i think that's why i gravitate to a man from a man from uncle versus the king the king's man like it it feels a little too kiddish when you set it in the modern setting it's like get real that's not what's going on right now that's just my take the kingsman has some extraordinary action but they also went the route of ultra violence. And I like that's popular today too, sadly. So that kind of did the two series. Yeah, I think it's 
the Kingsman is uh, intending to be more over the top <clears throat> and bring about some, you know, r- ridiculous situations in that way, in a way that the man from uncle isn't. And so I, I enjoyed both films for different reasons. Um, the first Kingsman, not, not as big a fan of the second Kingsman um, movie, but yeah, I, I uh, really enjoyed this one. I think what I've seen is it's another situation similar to bridesmaids that by the time they got around to thinking about a sequel, uh, everyone was just involved in so many other things. So, you know, Henry is, is doing the Superman films, was in the middle of production Justice League, had Mission Impossible and a lot of other things on his plate. And so it was difficult to work into the schedule um, a, a Man From U.N.C.L.E. sequel um, with what he was doing. That's interesting because I thought they were setting it up to be a series. Yeah, so they were. I feel like... They should, you know, they should have everybody signed on because I'm sure mm-hmm. it was a movie that they were like, you're signing on for three, you know, option to do another two or something like that. So, yeah, I'm very, very disappointed. Mm-hmm. I, I know it didn't have great reviews with the critics, very like mixed to positive, but you know, what, what does have good reviews? Yeah, I think just because it's a new property, it's maybe harder to get things locked into place because producers are going to say, I want to see if it's going to work before, yeah, commit you to know, something. I think we really got to give some new properties the opportunity to succeed. So I'll, I'll always take, uh, you know, somebody I'll take a, somebody taking a crack at something for two movies before I say, right. okay, it's not going to work. Right. That's like canceling TV shows mid season or after their first season, you know, can, can yeah. anybody say firefly, you know, yeah, give it a second, man. Give it a second. All right, so let's stick with the stylish film and I am thinking of the awesome costume designs from this Christopher Nolan movie, Inception. So this movie, I looked up movies that had ambiguous endings and wanted to see what was out there. I I love Inception. I don't like necessarily following up with a movie that clarifies an ambiguous ending. So with my Inception sequel, I don't necessarily need that team from the initial movie. I want to focus on the idea of this being put into a dream state and being there and living there and building. We got to see some of what Cobb built in the time that he was down, you know, with his wife and all they built, we see a group of people in Mombasa, Kenya, and there's just, it looks like a hospital. They're all in beds going under because of the way they can sleep now. I think that it would be interesting to explore this idea along the lines of global inequity, hunger. So, you know, how many calories do we use in sleep state? Maybe it's kind of like a matrix world where it's best for people to be asleep. They get to actually live longer and do more in this sleep state. And some of my favorite films like Matrix and uh, anime series Ghost Shell, they explore diving into people's minds. And in Ghost in the Shell, your consciousness is uploaded and people exist on the net. So 
with this Inception movie, I would like to explore those worlds that these people are creating. And if they're going in every day and being put under for long periods of time, what could those worlds look like? They've been in there for years, Stephen. So maybe they're far advanced and actually looking at something more like a sci-fi movie way in the future. Help me out with the movie title. There was, uh, it was something like A Thousand Cities. It, I think it was a Mobius comic. Is it? Um, Valerian. Valerian, Valerian and the okay, City of yeah. a Thousand Planets. That's what it was. I was trying was. to think of the title. All I could remember was it was a very long title. Yeah, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. So kind of like that where they had a thousand planets within a small realm and got to jump from one to one to one. Um, <laughs> I thought that maybe we could see what is happening in these people's minds that are going under for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think your sequel should just periodically cut to Cobb and his top is just spinning and you still never see it fall. Just <laughs> every 20 minutes you just check in on him and he's just looking at it. And other than that, he's not related to the plot. Just, hmm, okay. Uh, no, I'd, it'd be interesting to see, um, you know, I'm assuming you'd still have Nolan coming back and doing it. And so other than the Batman trilogy, which is obviously set up to have sequels, um, it'd be interesting to see Nolan return to something and explore it again um, rather than moving on to a new project. If not, Wes Anderson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Oh, uh, he's got he's got a lot of movies lined up here. <laughs> Zelda, Master and Commander Two, Inception Two. Inception just kicks off with an extended dance sequence set to Mr. <laughs> Sandman. <laughs> to Paul's kind of hinting there, Nolan doesn't really do sequels, and Nolan's movies, I mean, they're as close as you can get to art pieces for major motion pictures by themselves. And I don't think mm-hmm. he really writes them or, or or makes them with a sequel in mind. Like we were joking about the top, but he 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 did that on purpose. He doesn't want to answer it. I mean, he he doesn't have an answer himself. He you know that's not what he's trying to do. So I don't know. You might have to actually kick Nolan out and bring somebody else in. But there's some great directors out there. I think you could do it with. I feel like he explores a lot of the same ideas in his films. And so mm-hmm. if you could make the sequel far enough from the first, yes, you yeah. could, I think, get him to sign up for it. No, I agree. Not even I, like, I wouldn't even have the same characters, just kind of maybe a universe type mm-hmm. thing. Um, I'm he, thinking of something kind of like, so it reminds me of uh, eternal sunshine, sort mm-hmm. of something like that going into people's minds and maybe different minds and, and stuff like that. I don't know, maybe a less, monumental task maybe more of a smaller task uh but something that's more personal i don't know right the first one was actually a heist movie right yeah but Mm -hmm. but to the cinematic degree of like a bond film yeah with all of the explosions and whatnot but so now we make a buddy cop movie (laughs) (laughs) think think turner and hooch okay going through the dream world uh there is a fun fact there's a ducktales comic that exactly parallels Inception that was published like 30 years before the movie came out that 
like from start to finish is them going into dream worlds and implanting an idea. Like it's exactly the plot of the movie, but DuckTales did it. You got to get your ideas somewhere, Paul. So maybe this movie involves going on an adventure to fill a giant money vault. Inception. Interesting. There is Michael's team and Cameron, it is time for you to round your team out. Sure. Michael, little did you know that uh, in order to ruin your draft, I actually hired a team of operatives to <laughs> the idea of drafting Inception in your mind because no sane man would do that. Looks like it worked. Or maybe I'm just stuck in my own dream. <laughs> Hang on. Quick, spin something. Okay, my, my mouse stopped spinning, so I think that means I'm good. <laughs> All right, last pick here. Boy, I have a plethora of movies. But I think I'm landing on one. Uh, you taking Man from Uncle really clears it up. I didn't have it to go, but now I feel a little bit more confident. So this movie, so fun action movie from the mid-90s. I'm just going to go right into it. I'm talking about 1994's Roland Emmerich's Stargate. So I need to know, guys, if this is going to work. Now, there is no Stargate sequel. There is, of course, four TV shows and two direct-to-DVD movies starring the TV show actors, but there is no theatrical release of any kind of movie. I thought we had thrown out properties that had series because there was an animated movie that I had looked at that had a series made after the fact. And and so I didn't key that up for a sequel because of the animated series. I don't know. What do you think, Paul? Uh, Yeah, I'm, this one's tough because there's some stuff that comes after a movie that is clearly just a cash grab using the title. Right. And this is a lot more significant than that. Um, So it does make it tough, but I'm, I'm usually inclined uh, if we can sort of technically argue it to just leave it up to our voters to say, does does it go against the spirit of the idea enough that they want to vote for someone else because of it? Um, mm-hmm. So I think on the technicality that there's not another movie, if you want to go for it, I you know I'd I'd be okay on that technicality, but I do think it skirts the just because of how significant the TV series are and the connections. I I think okay, I'm gonna I, drop it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, drop it. I'm going to drop it right. uh, since Michael had something lined up that he couldn't do. Um, and Paul's kind of on the fence and he's kind of doing the old Mitch McConnell. Well, let's let the, uh, let's let the voters decide who needs to be on the Supreme court. It's too so, close to the election. It's too close. I mean, 11 months, man, come on. The term's over. I'm on vacation. So I'm going to drop Stargate, but uh, that would have been a tough sequel to do anyway, because there is so much, content in the canon from the shows mm-hmm. that you almost need to just make another show versus a movie so i'm gonna go with another one i'm gonna go for a straight comedy you're talking buddy cop movies i don't think there's anything in the decade that can rival the other guys mm-hmm. uh, and i think this movie needs a sequel we're talking about two actors that work comedy together very well will ferrell and mark Wahlberg. the first movie we've talked about it on the one of the pods before i think mike we were talking on the replace the front man pod but this is just a swell movie it's funny 
Uh, Will Ferrell plays a great straight man. Mark Wahlberg does his his great angry all the time Boston guy, and they really mesh well together. And I love, I love. Oh, what's his name? You love watching Derek Jeter get shot in the knee. I love Derek Jeter. No, I don't love Derek Jeter getting shot. He's a, he's a biracial <laughs> angel. Come on. But I love Michael Keaton as the captain and the manager at Bed Bath & Beyond. So great character there. Uh, just I, I don't, I don't want no scrubs. I don't want no scrubs. <laughs> yeah, creep, creep. I mean, that kind of a joke that makes no sense and is never really explained, but in that movie is just hilarious, the, mm-hmm. the TLC references. Uh, everybody in this movie acts their comedy chops ass off. Uh, Eva Mendez does great. What's his name? Rob... Um, from the Daily Show, he was one of the. Do you Rob Riggle, Rob Riggle, he does great. Michael Keaton, of course. Uh, uh, Stephen Coogan, I think is his name. The guy they're mm-hmm. trying to protect, he's really good. David Wallace from The Office <laughs> is in there also. I noticed that the third time I watched it. Uh, just a lot of fun gags. I, I, I think it's a fun movie. I, I rewatch it. I try to get anybody who hasn't seen it to watch it, and I think if that's not a recipe to make a sequel, I don't know what is. So I'm interested to hear your premise for the, the sequel. What would you want to cover? Well, Mike, I really only wrote premises for seven movies. Paul drafted one, and then we just nixed my other one. So let's be honest, it's a buddy cop film. Well, so on the fly, what, what do you want him to do? Because the first one was kind of an insurance heist scam thing. Yeah, so I like how they, they downplay they they downplay police to something not typically in a police movie. It's not a terrorist organization. It's not a plot to, you know, uh, whatever. Do something. They're actually something trying to violent. get their pension fund, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a little more white collar, and that, that's kind of what makes it so funny. So something similar to that. I don't know. Maybe they're they're now riding the high of them being the the new guys or something like that, and they got it. I don't know. I, I don't I know. Got, I got a, I got a pitch. I got a pitch. Okay, let's go red light, green light. What do you got? So I think um, you start out with them. They're like, all right, we're getting the call up to work for the feds, right? And Mark Wahlberg, super excited, right? I'm going to be in the FBI because of this great criminal work. But it turns out that it's the IRS who wants them to just investigate like tax fraud or like nonprofit organizations or something. And so now Will Ferrell is stoked about it. And Mark's like, got this shit job with the fed yeah. they're showing up at people's like accounting office and, and mark's busting in yelling like federal agents and 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 uh just overplaying his 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 role yes. so i like that. that's a good premise and that's a nice callback to the first movie because will ferrell gets mark Wahlberg the mug that's fbi female body inspector and he throws upon, it out the window you know on, on, upon closer inspection it says female body inspector <laughs> Uh, that movie is is great. I, I mm. love that movie. It's a phenomenal movie. So cheap movie to make, and I think it'll it'll bring in some cash. Mm-hmm. So the other guys, if you haven't seen it, it's a it's a must watch. For now, comedy. do you have other other guys in this movie? Like we had The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, I don't know. You could do something about yeah. What if they're in the new department? Maybe there's some other other guys. You know. I think the good thing about the movie was that, yeah, there were like these other pairs, right? There were mm-hmm. the, the, the other guys, the other two detectives, The Rock and Samuel Jackson. So don't uh, don't mess with that. But just a lot of, it's some comedy in there that I haven't seen in 
certainly in buddy cop movies, but it, really in other comedy movies in the last decade either. Some great jokes. So it was, it was very fresh. So that's it. Paul, close us out. Well, I can't believe none of you drafted Spice World, so you just really opened up the door for me. I thought this was a six-round draft we were doing. Are you kidding me? Oh, my God. No, I, I'm going to take one here. I've got some others on my list, but I've, I've got to work this one into the, into the draft. It's a callback to something we talked about in high school, uh, a movie that I, I just came up with the name for the sequel and we bandied around ideas based on that name. Cameron, you recall what I'm going for here? You came up with a fake sequel. A sequel we... title, yeah. To and an actual movie? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um and we just kept it going. Yes. Yeah. So I don't remember this. All right. It may have been something I talked about a lot more with Patrick. I don't remember, but uh I'm gonna take Air Force One as my movie because the sequel <laughs> oh, to the movie. Yeah. So he's president. Remember this. He's president James Marshall. <laughs> and the title I thought up was air force Two: Marshall law. Golden. I've sensed. I, I know you, I know you're set up too. I remember the plot. Yes. <laughs> so here's the plot of the film. So president James Marshall from the first movie has now been elected to the Supreme court. Right becoming the second president to serve on the Supreme Court post, uh, post the presidency, um, hence the name Martial Law in the title. The current president of the United States is extremely crooked, and he wants to get rid of the vice president and then step down and have his handpicked new vice president who's going to come in and give him a pardon. So he unbeknownst to anyone else, works out a deal with some terrorists to take out the vice president while the vice president is in flight on Air Force Two. The vice president invites now Chief Justice James Marshall onto the plane with him. So he's on Air Force Two when the uh, terrorists end up hijacking the plane. Hence, Air Force Two, martial law, which at some point has to have Harrison Ford saying, get off his plane and punching someone or, you know, that that's all I've, that's as far as I've gotten with the plot to this one, but I just want it to happen. That's pretty fleshed out, Paul. That's <laughs> well, pretty. We've been, he's been working on this one for over a decade. Been, yeah. uh, I got, I got two words for you, Paul. Go picture. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you tell me where your GoFundMe is and uh, I'll see what I can do. But that's a, that's a, Air Force One, I don't care what anybody says, that's a good movie. I mean, it's oh, for its time, it is a good movie. Um, I'll, I'll watch that over most like Steven Seagal movies or, or similar type, you know, one man versus all the bad guys movies. It's just so good. Aside from Mary, maybe uh, Gary Oldman's Russian accent, that one's not quite, mm -hmm. but it's the movie's so campy as it is, that's not a big deal. Yeah. He still does a uh, good job. But maybe yeah, he still does a good get job. Yeah, yeah. So that's good, and I, I don't, you know, same thing. That that's a great line. That line does not feel cheesy to me. When he says "Get off my plane," I mean, he delivers that in a way that's like he's about to mess that that mother up. Only right Harrison here. Ford could. Very few people could take that line. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Now we talked about how well Harrison Ford movies do as trilogies. 
in that pod. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you could come up with a third, Paul, I think so what is you're he, well is he going to say the uh, Speaker of the House? What, what is he going to do the third yeah, We run into some problems in that I don't think there's actually an Air Force 3 call sign. <laughs> He's but. just on a commercial flight. It's, it's called a Delta 77926 or whatever. Uh, uh, this is no, a good way to end your roster here, Paul. I, Paul, I completely forgot about Air Force Two martial law, but when you, we figured it out, we were like, "Oh my God, this is oh, we we had a whole is, cast this is writing itself." Right we, here. I just I don't remember who, but we had picked big actors for everyone on the Supreme Court, and I just remember uh, Lucy <laughs> Liu. Yeah, like Lucy Liu was going to be a justice. I don't remember. <laughs> that's the only one I remember, but. I think we were going to have the justices have their own action scene separate from what was going on in the plane. So we were picking like action movie stars to be justices of the Supreme Court. In our it, it, essentially, we were doing the expendables, but we were <laughs> but, casting them as Supreme Court <laughs> justices. We could put Bruce Willis on the Supreme Court. It'll, yeah, it'll work out. Uh, great movie. Great movie. Uh, that, w- that was a guilty pleasure, a guilty wash of mine uh, that I used to watch quite frequently. Uh, one of the few movies where William H. Macy dies, too. Something you never want to see. Yeah. Yeah. So, way to tie it up there at the end, Paul. Nice bow there. Air Force Two, martial law. Get off his plane. Classic. Do we have any honorable mentions? Well, why don't we why don't we recount ours and let them okay. go vote, and then we'll, we'll, we'll check out what we got. So, let's do a recap. All right. I tried to kind of spread out my picks a little bit. So they're not all animated. They're not all necessarily within one genre here. I've got Bridesmaids, The Iron Giant, Moana, The Man from Uncle, and Inception as my movies that I would love to see sequels for. All right. Cameron here. And for my movies to have sequels, I have Big Trouble in Little China. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, Mystery Men, The Last Starfighter, and The Other Guys. And I tried to look for some movies that would have some new concepts to explore, um, but uh, other than Johnny Mnemonic would would not be super high concept, but also just fun action movies, interesting stuff. So I've got Dread, World War Z, Matilda, um, Air Force One, and the aforementioned Johnny Mnemonic. Paul, why don't you tell everybody how to go vote? So um, if you go to, it'll be in the show notes to this episode. You can also go to our website, anchor.fm slash what's on draft. And that will link you to our Twitter page and our Facebook page um, where you can go cast a vote in either of those places. You can also leave us an audio voice message. If you have any feedback on this draft or any complaints, we listen to all messages and you might even get some airtime. Mm-hmm. all right guys okay. any honorable mentions what do you got mike so i had a couple that i had considered and one of them in the vein of what paul was talking about looking at uh, characters grown up we might have means uh, a reason for the dinner club okay so we get to look at these people 30 years later <laughs> Still friends, still meeting up, discussing what's going on. The dinner club. Yeah, got it. <laughs> Another one I had, 
So ET whole time he's he's wanting to phone home, right? He gets to go mm -hmm. home. His parents want to celebrate. They want to take him on a vacation. They forget him. And so we have ET home alone. <laughs> now you're just messing with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so those are my two uh two honorary. <laughs> oh wow, okay. All right. I got a little bit longer list, but I'll go through it pretty quick here. Um I have executive decision, kind of an, uh, another Air Force One. I was like, you can you can do a sequel to that somehow. Another team, all you really need is Kurt Russell, and then put him in a setting. But you kind of need Kurt Russell, or it doesn't tie together. Waterworld. I think that world can afford another movie. So just something set in that universe of Waterworld. <laughs> District Nine. You know, I think they've been trying to see if that would be a sequel. District Ten, or do something with the aliens. Can you remind me how that one ends? Because I saw that on a lot of people's lists. He turns into an alien, right? And mm -hmm. I forget what happens. The but other, the, the other aliens like leave, but they're supposed to come back in three years or something like that. Something like that. And so there's like a definite timetable. Like there's another event that's gonna happen. And he wanted to make District Ten, but has Neil Blomkamp has been doing other stuff, obviously. Yeah, and then I got two more. I got MacGruber, which was a surprisingly funny movie that I actually enjoyed. I, I love the SNL skit. I thought the movie was actually was actually pretty funny too. I think that's one they're talking about doing. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I almost and, brought that up just completely unrelated because you brought up Stargate and uh, Richard oh, Anderson from MacGyver Richard, plays Richard in that. Richard Dean Anderson, yeah. And so I, I was going to suggest MacGruber for you. Yeah, MacGruber. Uh, and then the last one, I actually don't think they would do good at it. I'm surprised they haven't done it. I don't think it needs a sequel, but I was like, it might happen in this climate. And that's White Man Can't Jump. And I think they would make a movie and they would call it White Men Still Jump or something like that. Uh, so that's what I got. That's a movie that I, I distinctly remember how they edited that movie. Unless it... You know how they replace curse words on yeah like cable oh yeah there's there's some there's some cursing in that movie i mean well, they're, they're playing basketball i remember one of the being melon farmer nobody called anybody a melon farmer exactly I can say that right now. exactly that's what i'm saying that movie had some of the most creative uh edits that i saw on regular tv it's pretty funny that's funny. Not, I don't want to. There's one where I saw Die Hard. Your mama's an astronaut. No, your <laughs> mama's an astronaut. <laughs> that, now that was real. That was sounds real like dialogue. like the Joe Biden insult generator. If you haven't seen that on Twitter, oh, melon, like, melon farmer sounds like something that would come up on that. It does sound like something. Not the malarkey, melon farmer. It's a button. There was a. Uh, I saw Die Hard on TBS one time, and John McClane said, "Yippee ki yay, Mr. Falcon." There you go. There's not a <laughs> there isn't a character. They just didn't know what to say when it's so blatant. You just have to put something else in there. Yippee mm -hmm. ki yay, melon farmer. Right? It's not like John Wayne. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Yippee ki yay, melon farmer. Yeah. All right, Paul, what do you got? Uh, I had two initially on my list that I took off because they're trying to move forward with production on them. And so I thought in the spirit of things, I'd leave them off. And that was... Um, 1010, um, the animated Steven Spielberg movie, which I really enjoyed, and mm -hmm. Enchanted, which I think would oh, be a good ooh. one to explore. I'm and they're they're coming out with the uh, Alan Minkin has actually started writing new songs for the sequel, so that one is 
um, in the works. But uh, the other one that I really considered, I, I, won't, I put a lot of thought into an older movie um, that you could bring in, into the update. And uh, the one that I landed on before I decided to go with Air Force One instead was uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, um, which could be about a descendant of Mr. Smith getting called up to be like, hey, your grand, like your grandfather was famous, so you can help us. And just, you, you know, they, they have a lot of dirty politics in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, obviously, but just seeing like K Street and everything amped up way more. And also just the fact that, you know, Mr. Smith is the good guy, but he was working on a pork barrel bill to fund, funnel some money back to his home state still. And he was the good guy of that movie. So, uh, different I, times, man. Yeah. So, um, just, I, I think you could say like, take just a clean cut person, um, try like a, you know, Chris Pine's probably too big, but have someone that is, is like, okay, we're going to bring you in cause you're related to Mr. Smith and use you to fundraise. And he just comes in and finds out that it's like way even dirtier than what he, the stories he heard from his grandfather's time in Congress or, or something like that. So I, I thought about that one, but um, yeah. I threw that out jokingly to Madeline because I r recalled Cameron's suggestion of 12 angrier men <laughs> from one of our earlier pods. And I was trying to think I, I, of other classics that. Uh, I'm, I'm retooling that to 13 angry men. <laughs> it's in the new dystopian future yeah. where juries are, are, are 13 people. Then you know. have unlimited, you just keep adding. It's like the oceans <laughs> franchise. Yeah, you just keep, just keep going. Keep going up. I, I was thinking of trying to think of funny, funny, um, you know, saving Corporal Ryan, and then you can move up to saving Sergeant Ryan, and so on. Just and so constantly, forth. Oh, but eventually, it's after the war, and it's just like <laughs> the war is he, over. He locked his keys in his car. We gotta find him. We gotta help Colonel Ryan, guys. So. Uh, you're you're edging toward uh, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> with this series that's one that a sequel maybe it was too late now but it would that would have yeah. been kind of funny but yeah so all right guys i think that's it pretty interesting draft um i wouldn't mind seeing a sequel of, of any of these y'all got anything else nothing else but uh you know if you if you want to just take a few seconds to throw us a five-star review anywhere you are listening to this podcast that helps us with the algorithms and such and the other big thing you can do if you enjoy this episode or anything else we're doing is just share the podcast with your friends remember to vote for michael and this has been an episode of what's on draft get off my draft